Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello, I'm Steph and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast and it's lovely to be back. We had a small break. Just what I've been focused on Don't Buy Her Flowers, my gift business, um, lots going on with the family with one in secondary and one in reception and one in the middle and just still adjusting I think to all the changes that has brought. Um, and to be honest, the subject today is one I really want to discuss because it sits so firmly with so many people I know, especially women. I've definitely been feeling it, hence not releasing an episode for a while because something had to give and it couldn't be the kids or Doug or the business. But in this episode, we are talking about burnout, which originally was a phrase created in the 70s to describe an occupational phenomenon. But it's changed and it's definitely being used a lot more in the last couple of years. Perhaps because work is less separate from the rest of life for lots of people. It's not just associated with work. Uh, In the UK, we've got the summer holidays coming up, which, if I'm very honest, fills me with fear. I know people who have spreadsheets to manage the next few months. Um, I'm not fearful of spending time with my children. I actually quite like them. They're not tiny. Um, They can be quite funny. And, you know, I look forward to that, but it's the juggling of work and childcare and being present and knowing that you're not always going to be present and the guilt associated with that. And also having a break for ourselves because it's the summer and you want to enjoy some of it. So today's guest is Siobhan Murray, a psychotherapist and author of The Burnout Solution, which is a 12 week step by step guide to managing and ultimately working out tools to avoid falling into burnout. So we go into understanding what burnout is, what it feels like, how someone might identify if they have burnout, what the signs and symptoms, because I think one of the tricky things about this phase of life is that there is a lot going on. There are a whole host of things that could be wrong that cross over. Um, We also talk about how it affects women and also how your disposition for burnout could come from behaviour you learned in childhood. So that is really interesting. Um, and we go into some of the tools, which is what Siobhan's book is really about. So it's trying to move the conversation on, I guess, to like, what do you do with burnout once you've identified it? Uh, the book is available as an option in Don't Buy Her Flowers packages. We sell thoughtful gifts and our second biggest reason people send gifts is for TLC. Often when someone is struggling and our customer wants to say, hey, I'm here, I'm thinking of you. So this book feels like a really good fit if you're trying to help someone and we don't always know the right things to say. So calling an expert is good, which is what Siobhan is. Uh, this episode is sponsored by HR Star, who supports small businesses with HR, including mine. And I'll talk about them in a bit. But for now, here is Siobhan Murray on burnout. I'm going to go straight in, Siobhan, because I wrote about 
the rush hour and a lot of the subject around the podcast is around this rush hour. So this period of life that lots of people I know are in where you might have a family, your parents are getting older, you're still trying to keep up with some sort of social life, uh, your career is probably quite involved, you might be responsible for people and just it feels like a, this mad phase. And I wrote this article for Grazia and the response, it kind of it got shared hundreds of times. I had so many messages and people going, oh my God, yeah, this is how I feel. I was like, that's great because you've got that solidarity, but it doesn't tell anyone what to do about it or why do we feel like this and what do you do? So that's why I want to talk to you because you are the burnout expert with your book, The Burnout Solution. <laughs> How did you get into burnout for a start? Um, well, thank you for saying an expert, but I suppose the best way to get a handle on how to help people is by lived experience. And I will always say, I don't sit in a golden tower of, you know, my life is perfect and I do all these great things and my well-being is fantastic and, and this is what you should do because that's not helpful and I have burnt out numerous times and I had nobody there was nothing I would go to the doctor I would be put on antidepressants I used alcohol as my perceived distressor I kept going I you know with burnout your body is in when you get to chronic burnout or habitual burnout your body does not need to be going to the gym. You do not need to be going to hour-long spin classes. Your body needs restorative rest, sleep. We approach it in, I'm so tired, I'm so wound up, I'm so stressed, I better put more things in my life to help this, as opposed to, I call it turning the dial down, not turning the dial up. So I think it was my own experiences. I worked in the corporate world. I worked in not-for-profit. I worked in the music industry. I lived in London. I worked for Elton John. I've done all these very, very different things, burnt out in every single career, every single one. I only did my degree in counseling and psychotherapy. I think I'm qualified 12 years. So I did that as an adult. And I would work longer hours now than I have ever done. I'm a single mum to two boys, 16 and 17, and I work with the state, so I work on a different time zone, but I don't get burnt out because of the way I understand what I need. And I think that's the really important thing, because when people say, how do I stop burnout? You know, it's not prescriptive. It's very individual. There are overarching areas, but very individual. Mm. Starting at the beginning, what is the definition of burnout? So if you look at the World Health Organization in 2019, it defined burnout as an occupational phenomenon. Now remember, 2019 was pre-COVID. So yeah, that was occupational phenomenon. can relate to that. That's people getting up, dealing with their kids, dogs, housemates, whatever situation you're in, or being on your own getting doing the commute going into an office five days a week so we had a very separate work and home situation predominantly um however you know that all then changed with the last couple of years for those that were office-based clearly not for those that were in healthcare, but for office-based that that changed and that caused its own set of issues but the term i use it's emotional and physical exhaustion brought on by emotionally demanding situations over a period we're looking at anything more than six to 12 weeks and beyond so it's not that exhaustion that we will all experience exhaustion that's fine 
But if that emotional exhaustion continues, that disconnect from who we are and what's around us, whether it's our work, whether it's our family, that's where we're going to start seeing the cracks. And that can be internally and externally. Because you write in the book that stress isn't always bad. It can help performance. It gets stuff done. And I think as a woman, I can get so much done sometimes. Like Doug will be like, it's like the speed at which you can do stuff. And that's great. But then you also write that being nearly always switched on has become an addiction. We add, and we add, and we add. And then suddenly you tip. You know that feeling like you drop something and it smashes and you're, the world crumbles and you're like, oh, hang on, I'm handling that really badly. And if that had been yesterday, I might not have handled it like that. Like that, that, that tipping point seems to be, we're not meant to be in this constant state of stress. No, and I, I describe, I'm a visual learner and I'm a visual communicator. So I describe it as um, the traffic light system. So when we have the traffic light system, if you think of green is what we call rest and digest. Now, rest and digest is not lying on the sofa watching Netflix, eating the most expensive chocolates with the most expensive champagne. Um, rest and digest means that we are living in our optimum space. So our bodies are digesting food. We are getting restorative sleep. We're cognitively um, engaging with the world, we're able to problem solve. So rest and digest is where everything's functioning well. Then we go into amber and amber is fight or flight. So we will, oh, that's where stress, we have stress every single day. We have uh, emotional stress, we have physical stress. So we will go from green to amber. When we get into amber, we have that stress situation. We have the resources and tools, whether it's emotional or physical, because we're living in green, to be able to deal with that stress and then return back to green. If you're living in amber, in fight or flight, and you're never tipping back into rest and digest, so now you're putting pressure on your digestive system, your sleep, your communication, your ability to problem solve, you're going to then end up in red, which is freeze. And freeze is where to get back down to green becomes the problem that's the hard bit because once we're up in freeze we're disconnecting our bodies aren't functioning and that's where you start to see the physical signs uh, of burnout not just the emotional and what's really difficult here is this phase that we're talking about this rush hour how do you tell the difference between burnout depression genuine overwhelm because there is a lot like and I think talking to my parents about this phase when they're like oh it, it does get slightly easier at some point like this is a, a really intense period of your life perimenopause which we're obviously starting to understand more but that a lot of the symptoms are the same so how do you know what you're which one you're in I will say this Steph I am a single mum I run the ship captain of the ship I run my little world my work all of it. I don't have anybody going, there you go. There's you know a couple of grand a month to, to sort. That doesn't happen. However, the narrative that came out a couple of, maybe 10, 15 years ago, that really, really irks me that women can have it all, that anybody can have it all. The pressure that puts on us that we, if, if that narrative is out there, you know, you can have it all. Okay. 
So I should be able to have the really intense career. I should be the perfect parent. I should be the perfect daughter to my parents. I should be the perfect wife. I should be that narrative, the, the stress and pressure that that puts on people. It doesn't allow us to look at what our negotiables and non-negotiables are and let go of some of the negotiables for a period of time because we're constantly, we're not pausing to go, what's going on for me? And the reason I say this in answer to your question is, until we pause and go, why am I doing all of this? What What is my purpose of doing all of this? Am I facilitating what I think I should be doing or am I facilitating what are my needs? When you start to understand that, it allows you to go, okay, these are my non-negotiables. These are the things that are absolutely part of my life. These are negotiable. Doesn't mean I'm not going to engage with them anymore, but just for now. And when you can start to remove some of those, you can start to see, is my life getting a little bit better? You know, am I not feeling as overwhelmed? Am I not feeling as depressed? Because the reality is untreated perimenopause or menopause can lead to depression untreated burnout unmanaged burnout can lead to depression all of these things can lead to depression but you're not going to fully understand until you start taking some of the things as in the book i call it the pot on the stove until you start taking some things out those things that we view as as we have to but actually we're only doing them out of obligation that it's not essential so true all these women going oh I feel crackers I feel so overwhelmed but how much of that stuff doesn't need to be done and I think it and and when I wrote about it and talked about it with friends you go when the shit hits the fan so something happens like someone is diagnosed your kid's off sick like where you suddenly have to pull everything off like you have to pull stuff out and go this is my absolute focus because this is a priority because it's life or death or whatever it is you can, you can get rid of loads of that stuff. You can order some food rather than cooking it from scratch. All those things that you feel like you have to do, society, expectation, narratives, all telling us that we should be doing this thing. And, and it's a battle to not do it. And everyone around you is almost, especially like you say, if someone goes, wow, how do you do it all? I, it's one of the worst phrases you can say to someone because they're not, they're probably not. They probably feel like shit or they're exhausted or they're trying to keep up with something that's not not making them happy. And I feel, I feel like I've definitely had a tough year, I would say, and where I keep pausing going, am I enjoying any of this? And I'm having to really think about it because... I should be. I've got a lovely life. I've got a lovely family. I've got, but I'm, but you're not enjoying it because you're moving on to the next thing and thinking of the next thing. And it's, but it doesn't make you feel good at all. I mean, I do think it's really interesting that, that am I enjoying this? And of course, of course, there's going to be things. Yeah. Do I enjoy doing the washing? No. no. (laughs) But I think, you know, and it's funny you said about speaking to your parents about it. We look at our children. And I will say categorically, I would despise being a teenager in what they go through. I mean, their faces are stuck in social media, but we are as well. So as much as we have the intellectual intelligence and the emotional intelligence, if you're tired and continually tired, 
you're not bringing yourself into that that cognitive oh i know that that's not really what's happening on that page in social media we go straight into their life is great this is brilliant mine isn't because we're tired our our decision making ability our ability to see things with clarity are all lowered so we get into that comparison and I call it being like sea biscuit, the very famous horse. Put your blinkers on. We have to put our blinkers on. I mean, there's so many things that I, in working with clients one-to-one or, or in corporately, I'll hear them talking and I go, okay, can we just look at your language? Just even look at the language that you're saying. Because once you say this, and it could be should, need, certain words, you're putting pressure on yourself, even changing the language that you're using about what you feel you should be doing, that can even make a difference. But the other thing, and this is pre-COVID plus COVID, and I actually think in COVID, we were probably really good. We came together as a community very well in COVID, even though we weren't allowed to see each other, which was really strange. But we are social creatures. So that sense of community, that sense of helping people, because we are all in this rush hour, we're not doing that to the same extent that we, in our DNA, you know, you look back at caveman, and, and that's still part of who we are. They lived in communities, in tribes, and everybody cared for each other. That's so true, because things like helping your neighbours get the shopping and little things that people did and we did, and you felt really good for it, and it gave you that connection with people. But when you're feeling just completely overwhelmed, those things go away, but they're actually things that would bring you some joy. And I, and I do feel as well that, more, not at the beginning of the pandemic, but when it was all worn off a bit and everyone just felt completely knackered and spent, I feel like if you said, I'm struggling, it felt like everybody was struggling. So people couldn't give you what you necessarily needed. And maybe that's going away again a bit now, but there was it was just so intense that even if you did reach out, you might not have really got what you needed back and then you feel even more kind of oh well I've, I've just got to get on with this and then you're just burying yourself in it but has the number of people in burnout increased is that what we're seeing and why is that yeah it, it's quite interesting and um, the statistics that are coming out of the end of 2022 and early 2023 and global statistics the level of burnout is increasing even though companies and organizations are taking it more seriously. There is a greater awareness of, you know, historically what I would have seen is we'll get somebody in to do a wellbeing talk and we've ticked the International Mental Health Day. Great, there that we've done it. Now companies are realizing the investment is actually in their interest, not just the individual. There is a greater support, however, the level of burnout is increasing because systems, cultures are not being addressed. And I am not organization blaming because it's twofold. We as human beings, there are some people who will never get burnt out at all. They will get overwhelmed. They'll come through it. They're fine. There are people who will literally go through burnout continually because they're high achievers they are perfectionists, you know, it's our personalities, what we bring to the table, as well as the culture 
um, within organisations. So both need to be addressed. It's not one or the other. Well, it's a bit like I think like talking about women as well. When you talk about the, the structures not being in place, like where equality at home isn't anywhere near where it needs to be. And so women are still we're working and we've got independence, but we're also still doing all the other stuff. So I'm guessing that must have a massive impact on the increase in burnout as well. Yeah, I'd love to know the actual science behind it, because I don't think there is any stats on this, but it is the working mother who will remember little Johnny's going to a birthday party on Saturday and they need to get a card and that he's allergic to milks. That's all whirring away in the background, as well as I need to get the sports gear for the training. Whereas men have an ability to just go to work and not worry about that I need to get the birthday card for Saturday and the peanuts and the. Whereas we're doing all of the equivalent in the working capacity plus all of this other information that we are constantly thinking about, even though we're not aware of it because it pops into our heads all the time. So there is a difference. I mean, it is predominantly women who will do those yeah. unpaid work. Yeah, the mental load. I think it would be interesting to see if that changes. I think one comment I had on on this rush hour piece was from a man saying, but I also feel this. But then I think when I went into it more, he had a more equal relationship at home. So he was involved in the drop offs. So you're like, oh, so you'll start to feel this too, (laughs) all these men, because actually, if they're feeling that, that's because they are being a better partner you could argue depending what you want from your partner but I sure as hell want him to do pickups and drop-offs and remember the birthday card and I don't want to be doing that on my own so I think that's a, a massive shift. This business episode is sponsored by HR Star, a HR consultancy who can offer businesses support and their aim is actually to reinvent the poor reputation of HR. They say that HR are not just the department brought into hire or fire and they want to help you with people who are your number one priority because without the people, you don't have a business. At Don't Buy Her Flowers, we started working with HR Start a couple of years ago when the business had grown to the point that we needed to be really clear on workplace policies and how we look after the team, but we weren't of the size where we would have a permanent HR person in-house. I think when you're growing a business and there's so much going on, it's just really helpful to have experts to run things by so we know we're doing the right thing, um, help with the admin of contracts and that kind of thing, and creating a business where you're proud to employ people, working with HR experts who actually know what they're doing. So if you visit hr-star.co.uk for more information, and if you contact them and quote DBHF, they'll give you 10% off their people strategy session. In a world of waning attention spans, video content is king, and an animated video on a landing page can increase its conversions by around 80%. Tiny Wizard Studio are animation specialists helping brands attract and inspire raving fans by harnessing the power of authentic storytelling. Founder and CEO Jess is incredibly enthusiastic and passionate about helping businesses make their brands stand out. As a business owner herself, she understands what brands need and how important not only your messages, but also the time spent on delivery and working to budget. You can book a free discovery session with the experts and they promise you will leave inspired, motivated, and with a clear vision to kickstart your marketing strategy. You visit them now at tinywizardstudio.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you have these conversations about burnout, it feels a bit like your parents' generation might be sitting, you know, post-war, whatever, sitting there going, rolling their eyes, like, oh, this lot with their burnout. And that makes you, again, not address it, probably, because you're thinking, well, I just need to soldier on because that's what you do, isn't it? And I can't be moaning because actually I'm very lucky and I've got 50 channels I can watch on TV and they only had three. Like, all that stuff is also at play, right? Yeah, but you see, I suppose it's like apples and pears. It's it's so different. Yes, they were post-war. Yes, they had a very, very different life. But if you look at it, most people didn't have one car, never mind two cars. So they were walking every day. Um, so there was movement in their body. They didn't have to intentionally go to the gym or intentionally, I must go for a walk because that's what they were doing every day. They didn't have as much money. So they ate in that capacity better they weren't oh i'm bored just going to eat eat my feelings or stand with a jar of nutella as some people (laughs) peanut (laughs) butter yeah (laughs) yep yep this is going to help me figure something out you know but also and i've done a lot of research around this around the burnout and what historically would have been the equivalent and actually you know when we would have heard oh, auntie so-and-so has taken to the bed. She's on sleeping tablets for her nerves because that nervous breakdown, as, as harsh as that sounds, when you break it down and say, well, it's, it's your nerves are broken. Well, that's burnout. That's your nervous system breaking. So yes, it actually was around. But then you will, you know, from the, from the female, male, mum, dad in, in a household, it was dad. Dad wasn't doing the cooking. Dad was bringing in the money. Mum 
wasn't predominantly going out and working. She was at home and she was working hard at home, but she wasn't double jobbing in the sense of I have to get up, get the kids, drop them off to school. We have too much to do. And we keep being told the narrative is, but you can have it all. You can do all of this. Well, yeah, you can, but not all at the same time. Unless you're willing to get the full-time nanny and have all the food dropped off. Or you look at any successful female in a position, senior position, and the compromise or the working arrangement in the family is her partner will have taken a back seat so he's running yeah. the ship or or it's out it's getting in help isn't it and that, and actually as someone who runs a business when i have met with women who tend to be like a generation older they were like well have you got a nanny have you got because that's how they got there that's how they did it It 100% wasn't relying on a partner whereas I feel like at my generation there's more people who there might be a partner who is secondary in terms of what they earn or whatever or they're doing it together but then they're trying to juggle all of it and try and share it a bit so it's, it's, it's a massive change you write about in your book you write about the importance of understanding childhood events and behaviors to understand how we might get ourselves into a position of burnout, which I think is really interesting. Can you explain that a bit? Yes. Um, and I suppose that's why, as much as I am accredited psychotherapist, I'm a coach, because I think in all of that, if I'm working with somebody, it's not about going, okay, how do we get you out of burnout and how do we move you forward? It's also about keeping somebody in a very safe space and figuring out what trauma and stress is still there that was conditioned us to become that yes person like examples it depends where you fall in the family if you were maybe one of the the younger children in the family and you didn't get the attention just because not out of, of anything wrong and you're looking for attention you may become a learned behavior the people pleaser because that's how you get your attention say yes 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 to the teacher yes 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 to your parents saying you know can you do this run to the shops so then you equate that recognition with if i say yes when i'm an adult and i'm in a working environment instead of saying well actually can i explain i've got this workload i can do it but i won't get it done till next week we just say yes and we then go, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm just a people pleaser. No, you weren't born a people pleaser. It is learned behavior that feeds into something that you weren't getting. Uh, and again, not in a, a like neglect way. I've seen is circumstances uh, where there's been a lot of drinking. And then as a child, if you grow up in that environment, you learn not to have a voice because you just want peace. You become hyper aware of people's emotions when you walk into a room. So you're now, as an adult, walking into the office and you can pick up on atmosphere because you sense it because that's a learned behavior. That can add to another layer of stress on your body because you're constantly going, what's going on here? And um, what are the dynamics here? So even that in itself, if somebody has grown up within that household where there was not a lot of love, and again, generationally, we can use that need 
to then filter into why we do things why do we say yes why are we running around after our parents taking them to as i call it, the sandwich generation the sandwich between caring for parents and caring for your own families why are we not saying to one of our siblings who may live close by can you do this run this doctor's appointment why do we feel i'm the only one who can do it because you're not so from what you're saying you get validation from those behaviors so you keep doing them but then you do them too much to the point that then you're heading towards burnout yeah you're also not doing them it's not because you want the family whatsapp group to go oh isn't staff great you know she did this again it's that internal yeah it's like well i need it so then you become the person who does oh the cake sale in school's coming up i do that because that validates my purpose in life because i'm the mum everyone will call me because I do the cakes. Okay, but do you have time to do the cakes? I feel like they're more female traits. And again, coming back to society expectation, everything you talked about earlier about we can do it or we can have it. So people pleasing, because we as girls, probably it was about pleasing people and serving and that kind of whole female side of things, which I guess would makes it more of a natural fit with burnout but you also write about I found this really interesting because I was like it was like a clarity moment but you said about self-esteem versus self-confidence do you want to explain that so self-esteem is on the inside um it's the 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 lovely gooey chocolatey bit in a chocolate bomb and confidence is on the outside and we get them mixed up so your confidence your self-confidence is your ability to do something. So my way of explaining it is if you think about when you were learning to drive a car, when you first time you got into behind the wheel of that car, you didn't have any confidence that you could drive because you hadn't done it before. You had no reference point and you had no self-esteem or belief. Now, some people will say, I did. I got into the car and I fully believed I could do this. But generally, you know, once we're confronted with it, it's like, oh my God, I'm going to crush the car. I'm, I'm never going to be able to do this. As we repeatedly do those lessons, get in the car, our self-esteem, our ability, because we haven't crushed the car, so our self-esteem, our belief that we can do something starts to increase. And our confidence, the ability to do it, starts to increase. So they come, they both start to increase together. Now, you, and you can equate this into work, relationships, families, anywhere. As soon as something happens, and we'll go back to the car analogy, that you have a minor accident, crash the car, nobody's injured, you now start to doubt your ability to drive the car and you start to doubt your belief that you can get in the car and do it again. So what happens is most events that we start to feel anxious about that we do today or something that happens tomorrow, if it's similar, doesn't have to be the exact same, if it's similar, we our emotional reaction will be to something in the past. So we could then go, no, I can't do that. But you haven't done it yet, so you don't know. So the emotional reaction, so our self-esteem and our self-confidence has started to, to be in doubt. And the only person who 
puts it in doubt is ourselves. So it's really important to be cognizant that you are different and to do those checks of when you start to feel like, I, I don't believe I can do that. I can't stand up in front and give a presentation. I can't join Steph and do a podcast. Why? Where is that coming from? Where is that belief coming from? Because if you've never done it before, then it's an opinion, not a fact. And the two get merged, don't they? But I think you you explain that one of them is is also about like external validation. If you take that validation from back to your point earlier about from other people saying, oh, they did a great job, you, you know, well done for doing that thing. Oh, she helped me. And stuff. You're always going to be seeking that, which means, again, you're taking on too many things. Absolutely. Because that internal self-esteem, I think it's like um, uh, being selfish. You know, we, we see that as, as quite a negative word. And I think self-esteem is still seen as quite, you know, egotistical or cocky or but it's not. It's not about the swagger with that self-esteem. It is the belief in yourself that you can do something. You don't need external validation. That shouldn't be our driver. Where it seems like it probably is, right, for lots of people, maybe because of things that happened in your childhood or like, but but not, I guess, not having the time or energy or tools to have worked out what it is that you do feel about certain things I think the the other thing you write about the signs and symptoms before we come on to like the tools for people for for burnout you write about the signs and symptoms and the changes in four areas so behavior feelings thinking and health so it'd be good to just go through those because I think one of the big things is trying to identify if you are burnt out and trying to understand that better so yeah those four for anyone who will experience burnout we will experience it in different shapes. You know, some people may go from zero and jump to level three, or whereas for others, it might be a slow burner. Um, you know, the behavior, if we look at that, and again, when I talk about this, this is where this behavior goes on for periods of eight weeks or more. That's where, because in anything people go, yeah, well, I felt like that yesterday. And yeah, you know, yes, absolutely. You, probably felt like it for a week but the behavior is being more irritable with people you know noticing that change that you're getting irritated really quickly over things that you wouldn't have and your reactions don't equate to the situation so your your window of tolerance has shrunk your sleep could very easily be disturbed so Either you're not able to fall asleep because your mind is just going and going and going, or you fall asleep, wake up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep. Um, a perceived uh, reliance on alcohol as that distressor, you know, and I say perceived because the belief that, oh, I feel so much better when I've had a glass of wine. Or, uh, Short however, term. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, I've walked that path and I'm coming up for 16 years not having walked that path anymore. That increased reliance on alcohol and um, the lack of motivation to do work, to do, to engage in work that you would have previously, you know, enjoyed. Those behaviours, withdrawing from social uh, situations, not wanting to meet your friends, anything that where there's a you recognize that shift is not going back 
to, it's not springing back to what your normal is. The feelings part is we just feel so disengaged, cynical. What's the point? Why am I here? The cloud is heavy and there's no glimmer. And, you know, something I realized the other day, my boys are 16, nearly 16 and a half and nearly 18. There's 18 months between them. And they both have great groups of friends. But because I don't drink, I have always been the mother that would do the pickups, like if they were at a party or wherever they are. Doesn't matter if it's midnight or one, because I won't go to bed. And what I realized is they're now going, yeah, no, when we're all sharing a taxi home, you don't need to. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I, I want to. So they don't need me for that, but they want me to cook their food and do their washing. So I started to have this resentment and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I was starting to feel out of sorts because I was not needed, but I was being used. That's how I felt. I was being used. And that really impacted me because they're perfectly capable of making food. And until I figured it out, well, you imagine with burnout, that feeling of work using you everybody using you you know you're putting food on the table your parents are calling you and it doesn't happen to overnight it's something that happens slowly and i think this is therein lies the problem is because it happens so slowly it becomes your new normal and you forget what your normal is and the feelings and thinking are very very much tied in um it's you know the thinking not being able to get out of that negative thinking of that doom and gloom catastrophizing everything is the worst in the world people are being promoted i'm not i'm not good enough and then the inner critic starts and you know my friend down the road is doing great things and she's juggling all these things no she's not she's you know nobody is because we can't multitask it doesn't exist it scientifically doesn't exist you can't so the only person that can multitask, and it's not even multitasking, are the people at airports who are on the ground with their headphones on, talking to somebody and flagging us. So they're walking and talking because that uses two different parts of the brain. Other than that, that's it. Mm. I think you say about in the book, that it's like computers can multitask, humans can't. Well, back to the point you said earlier about being nearly switched on has become an addiction that you could be doing something and you're quite engaged in it. And then you suddenly flick and look at your phone and you don't even know what it's like a compulsion. And no wonder our heads are like fried, but yeah. And health was the, was the fourth one. Yeah. Well, and I think that the sort of the health kind of ties into the behaviors where we are, because the first things when we start to feel overwhelmed and in stress, the first things that drop is our care of self. I don't use the term self care and I'll tell you now in a sec, but you know, that care of self. So, the the whatever it is that you would do whether it's go for a walk whether it is go to the gym um whether it's you know prioritizing your sleep eating well you know if if our cortisol levels if we're in hot in stress our cortisol levels are low our glucose is low which means we're more drawn to sugary foods and carbs to to give us those short bursts and again alcohol if we're in that mentality chances are when we're sick and it might just be a cold when we're sick, we go, oh, only a cold. I'll, I, I'm just going to push through. Like, because, okay, I can't, my leg's not hanging off. So I better not take some time off. That will all slip. So our health, and once our health goes, 
our resilience because health is one of the six domains of resilience and once we let go of that we go i need to uh, sunday night next week i'm going to be really good and we try to make it all better at the same time we don't even get to five o'clock on monday because it's too much the other thing that you talk about is the work-life balance and your hatred of <laughs> that as a phrase do you want to just quickly explain if i said to you steph you know you've had a tough year you really need to focus on your work-life balance how would you react if I said that to you it feels like a big task because it feels kind of impossible because it is impossible I mean it's, it's the most ridiculous concept work-life balance my feeling is the striving for work-life balance is putting so much stress goes back into this hustle culture because we're all striving for this work-life balance that is unobtainable and you may have a day where you have a good balance but the next day you know the curveballs come fast and furious and it's so even if you have a day where you go look I nailed it it's not sustainable so I mean I have two two different ways of looking at it it's either work-life integration or it's counterbalance and if you think of counterbalance as the scales, the the judges' scales, um, if if work-life balance is all about having the scales even, and the pressure to make sure it's not moving, that even that makes me feel tense. Whereas if we start to allow ourselves to see counterbalance, some days one side of the scale will be up higher, the next day. So it's it's we're constantly in flux. Then we start to be able to practice a little bit more self compassion. So if we have said every Wednesday, I love going to see my kids playing training. It's something I really really love, and I've said I'm going to take my kid. Um, and there's a week that work just becomes the priority instead of spending that time being resentful to work being the priority guilty that you haven't taken said child it's well you know what next week I'll be there and once I finish this piece of work I'll be able to chat to them when they get home and they can tell me how it was it's allowing that self-compassion because we would never speak to other people the way we speak to ourselves I'm not good enough to get this done during the day and I'm not that like we are that inner critic so work-life balance we need to just write it on a piece of paper rip it up and give ourselves permission to never speak of it again <laughs> it just it's adds like, to the guilt really oh like yeah. another layer which you don't need we don't need more of that so coming on to tools so you just briefly mentioned care of self but I think in the book you say you, what you talk about with self-care is it's asking yourself what do I need right now what is going to make me feel well and good and that the hard part of that is the following through yeah and if i could go back and change anything in the book it would be to take every reference to self-care out and change it to care of self and the reason being is self-care has become so commercialized you just look at any ad and as far as i'm concerned well-being has to be not needs to be has to be accessible to every single human being on this planet so therefore it shouldn't cost anything anything outside of that if it's in your financial 
abilities, brilliant. Don't go, oh, this woman said, I don't have to pay my gym membership. They're additional. But care of self are the micro habits that we do every single day that give us the ability to get from the morning to the night with ease and ability to go through, deal with the curveballs. And, you know, some days on the it might be, what do I need right now, actually? And it was before I had a client this morning. I knew I was doing this. I was like, okay, uh, what do I need? I actually need to go out for a 10-minute walk because I just need to. So that's what I did because that's what I need. So it's not just about acknowledging what you need. It is about then taking action on that need. Now, that need may be sitting on the sofa tonight, giving yourself permission that no, you don't have to change all the beds and you don't have to reply to emails and you don't have to do all these other things because what you need is to sit in the sofa or call a friend or text somebody. It's what you need and then taking action on it. It's not about putting more pressure. Um, like don't go to the gym if you're exhausted and you're just going to be more exhausted afterwards. Go because you go, no, you know what? I'm a little bit tired, but I know I'll feel fine once I get there. It's not about the pressure point. We need to get out of that mentality. We were never built like that. And and prioritizing sleep. Sleep is not a waste of our time. I've got problems with sleep at the moment because it is that it's that three, four AM wake up and sometimes I go back to sleep, sometimes I don't, and I know I'm not, not getting enough sleep. And then you read stuff about how, what that can do and the kind of repercussions of that. So it's in that spiral of and I know mine's sort of stress related but then you still find yourself doing really stupid things like it's 10 o'clock great go to bed I'll just look at my phone and you know and you're literally doing it going I really 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 need to stop and it's so self-destructive it's such a strange thing to do and that's not caring for yourself is it no that's not care of self when I do live speaking events I will always say getting your hair done if someone says to me, if I say, well, what do you do for yourself? I'll get my hair done um, on a Saturday. And I love that. You know, I, I, and I get my nails done. That's called maintenance. Like that's so <laughs> yeah. far removed from With, And exercise as well. Sometimes it feels like you're doing it for the good of something, but for your mental health, whatever. a lot of the time, it, it, get, it is maintenance. I, I've run the Dublin Marathon. I have done the 26.2 miles. So for anybody who runs, I am not giving you a hard time. I come from a place of I've done this every day I drive past runners of all ages all capabilities genders and I'm looking at them going they look so unhappy <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's true. <laughs> you don't see people smiling as they run do you that is true <laughs> it's not about going okay everyone needs to get up at 5 a.m and do 20 minutes journaling and 20 minutes uh, meditation and 20 minutes exercise and your life will be fabulous because that's just you know that's not going to happen no and and sometimes those things the things that are to- we're told is self-care feel like it's another thing to do it's like when the ludicrous idea that and it's always pointed at women of getting up at five in the morning because then you can get a bit of time to yourself before everyone else gets up you're like are you kidding me you're telling me to get more sleep in order to look after myself and that's the only, that's my only opportunity to get some quiet time because that's screwy. And no one, I, I don't think that's said to men. It's almost like the recognition of there's, there isn't enough time in the day. So what you're going to have to do is get up at five to get your peace. Something that I've started to do a lot of work around is getting out of this, this whole thing again of you know, time management. Like, let's move away 
we all do have the same hours. We are all different. So how quickly you and I can do the same task, even though we are both completely able to do it, how we do it is going to be different. If you do it quicker than I do, that's not better. It's not worse. It's just a different speed. But there is a, a level of, oh, well, you know, Steph can do it quicker than Siobhan, so she's better. And we see well, that now because of social media. You can see what other people are achieving, which we they didn't used to be able to. One of the other tools you talk about is sitting down and working out what are your three values. Can you explain that? Because you, you point out it's not your parents' values, it's not society's values. Like, how does someone do that? So, you know, our core values is, they're not our virtues. Your values are what somebody's going to say at your end of life. Your virtues are what is on your CV. So I'm very organized. I'm very uh, diligent. I'm a good communicator. So if you bring that from virtues to values, good communicator, I'm curious about people. So curiosity is one of my values. I'm curious about um, how people work, um, how plants grow like I'm curious around everything when we start to understand what our values are and these are not separate between our values in work and our values at home it's it's our values not external it's not what we should be it's what we value in life so when we can identify and a really good way of doing it there's loads of tools where you just have lots of words like a word cloud and you start to look at words and what they if they resonate with you and spending time to go from, say, 100 words to 50 words to 30 until you get back to three words that they mean something to you. And then write down why. Why do they mean something? What is it about those words? And then look at your life. You know, if health is a core value and you're doing nothing about it, then that's the key bit is and also like family if actually having time with your family where you aren't completely distracted and you can give them what you want to give them is important but you're never doing it because you've signed up to do the cake sale and you signed up to go to the whatever club and you're not living to those values that's really helpful I think but and also I should mention so in the book it's a 12-week program so it explains how to do these steps and I think I've found it incredibly useful and quite confronting as well, because you kind of go, oh, yeah. And I think for a lot of women, we're we're living in this. We're almost living in burnout. We're teetering on burnout a lot of the time. And we might still be managing, but it, like I said earlier, it, it doesn't feel very enjoyable. So it's how do we get back to that? But thank you so much. It's been so lovely to talk to you. It's been amazing. Thank you. Massive thank you to Siobhan. What I took from this is that there's no quick fix like most things, but if you're someone who piles on more and more and then at some point combusts, I know I am, um, we're going to have to make those changes that are longer term and really work out what our values are to stop us doing and choosing things that are making you ultimately feel pretty terrible. The book is genuinely really helpful. I've linked to it in notes and I have to say since recording this, I'm trying to pause and think. It's re- been really sunny this week and I've spent most of it sat in my office and earlier, knowing I was doing this, I went and stood barefoot on the grass and just breathed for a bit and I was so conscious of it. Um, it almost felt weird, but it was also really nice and I think 
a lot of what she's saying is like what about putting those breaks into the day because we do go 100 miles an hour I know pretty much everyone I know does um, thanks also to HR staff for sponsoring this episode and if you found it useful please leave us a review um, rate us on iTunes you can subscribe so you'll receive a notification when we put out another episode and just thank you so much for listening I hope this episode helps you take a minute for yourself and good luck this week ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.